good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is right on 7.30 and of course that's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy and in the studio behind the panels this morning we have A.B. Bishop. Good morning, A.B. Oh, good morning, Pam. Good morning, listeners. Lovely to be here. Not so cold this morning, which no, is very nice. it was. It was quite mild in comparison <laughs> to what we've had. Bit of cloud cover and yep. I know that morning was coming because I could see it on the horizon and in that slight crack between the clouds and the horizon, I could see that morning had actually broken. Well, it was wonderful <laughs> to not have frost on the windscreen. It was, yeah. It's, it's, and it's nice getting up not having to put on 20 layers. Exactly. We're also joined by John Arnott. Good morning, John. Hello, Pam. Good day, AB. Hi, John. Good to see you. How are we all? Oh, we're good. We're good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Pam has got the, she's the smile on her dial. I have. After I have. the Western Bulldogs' um, famous victory yesterday, <laughs> you, look, you do look very content. <laughs> <laughs> I got so excited at the end of the game to get us across that line. I thought, I'm not going to be able to talk tomorrow morning. I'm going to have no voice, but we'll soldier on. Oh, it's good stuff. Oh, I don't well even know. Who were they playing, Pam? Ah, they were playing Sydney up in Sydney, oh, which oh, that's was right. yes, a big threat yes, because right. particularly when teams have to travel, yeah. um, for a start, that's always put extra strain on them. And Sydney have been doing really well. I mean, there were a couple of um, a couple above us on the ladder because partly because we, we'd had the bye mm, yeah. uh, the previous week. But um, yes, it's always good to get a win, and especially a, a win away from home. What do you call them? You're taking a scalp. <laughs> that sounds a bit gruesome. It does. John. It does sound very gruesome. But yeah. I, I like to keep my footy fairly um, sane and <laughs> pleasant. But no, well done to the Western Bulldogs. <laughs> Good on you. Yeah, Enjoy okay. the moment. Good I know you. there's a few people down in uh, Footscray West who are going to be celebrating this morning too. Absolutely. Yep, yep. yep. Okay, John, what's happening over winter with um, Cranbourne? Well, this week it's, it's NODOC week. Um, and we have a big NADOC oh, cel- cel- celebration yes. on Wednesday. So that, that's that's really good. We've been doing that for the last, I think, four, at least four years, maybe five years. Um, and, um, you know, that southeastern community meet uh, at, at Cranbourne, and it's a terrific day. So that's kind of on the horizon for, for this coming week. Is Wonderful. NADOC week and all entailed with, uh, with, with that. So we've been prepping up for, for, for that. Um, and what does that encompass? Oh, look, there's a range of um, sort of tours and potting activities and, you know, smoking ceremonies and some speeches. And um, look, it's really about community just u- utilising, getting together yep. um, and, you know, utilising the, the, the Cranbourne Gardens as a gathering place. Wonderful. It is. It's terrific. It's a really terrific, really terrific day. Mm. Um and like I said, we've been doing it for the last couple of years and it just goes from strength to strength. So, you know, we're anticipating perhaps a thousand people, more than a thousand wow. people rolling in on, on Wednesday. Okay. Um, uh, which would be really, really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, that's this week. Um, right. l- last week we were doing, uh, quite a bit of tree work. Um, the, the Australian Garden, we're, we're having to think about whether we need to bring an, a dedicated arborist or a team of arborists uh, into the garden now because the garden has trees. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the surprise. Which is which is really nice. I mean, it's a, it is a young garden. The first stage of the Australian Garden opened in two thousand and six, and we completed the um, the second stage in two thousand and twelve. So you know, it is a very young garden. Yes. Um, but you know, some of those plantings that were happening in two thousand and six and earlier than that, they're actually forming trees now. Um, and we're having to start to think about how we manage our, our, our treescape. Yep. Um, 
And there's lots of challenges in that. Mm. I mean, you manage trees in, in public spaces for a whole host of reasons. One is, is risk, and you know the trees aren't quite big enough at the moment to, to cause substantial risk. But it's about um, um, trying to produce a really good tree into the future. Mm. So we've been doing quite a bit of formative uh, pruning. Um, and it makes a lot of sense to, to give the tree a kind of a right shape yes. when you're doing that with a handsaw and secateurs yep. um, compared to trying, trying to younger. reshape yeah. a, tree for a tree when it's much, much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been doing, doing quite a bit of formative um, pruning of things like the metalucas in the car park. And, okay. Well, hopefully um, when you bring your team of arborists in, they don't say, what the hell have you done here, John? Uh, there is an element <laughs> of that because the trees haven't really been managed all that well up yep. until this point. Um, so there is a fair bit of making good, um, and uh, the, 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 there'll actually be a, a reasonable percentage. I don't know how many, but you know, I think it'd be greater than ten percent of the trees which are in the garden that we'll actually remove, mm-hmm. based on arborists' um, read of the trees yep. in, into the future, and you know, replace that with a, a, a nice young tree. We kind of got caught a little bit out by. The need for a bit of instant gratification with the uh, the first stage and the second stage, yep. and planting advanced trees. Yep. Um, now there's a place for advanced trees, but we planted quite a lot of advanced trees, and it's interesting that those uh, quite a, a decent percentage of those, of those advanced trees are um, their root systems are a little bit compromised. Mm. What what happens is in in a pot. If a root hits the edge of the pot, it tends it to goes around, curl around. around. Yep. It's called kind of girdling and, and, um, and you start to get um, kinks and girdles in, into the root system. If at planting those aren't, aren't – and that's one thing. If at planting, if, if those aren't um, dealt with, as in pruned off, those, that girdling and circling, it, it'll hold that shape forever and ever and ever. Mm, mm. So we've been finding that um, a, few, a few trees have fallen over and when you actually inspect their root system, these, ah. are, these are trees that are starting to get quite large. Right. If you actually inspect their root system, you can still see the 40-litre container that they're growing in right? because the roots have continued yep. to girdle. Yep. So we're finding the elements of, of, of that in the landscape as well. Yeah, and I guess, and, I mean, that kind of means um, from a technical point of view that the tree not only is it not stable as it grows up, but it's not able to access the nutrients and the water as you know as it gets bigger and bigger. Exactly. So it's kind of a twofold problem, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It might push one big root out and that'll... You know, do a lot of the feeding, but that kind of structural propping yes. um, is, is not there. So it's an interesting thing. We're we're, um, we're now really starting to concentrate on on trees, which is really nice. I mean, we've we've kind of come through that big capital um, construction phase, um, and now there's an opportunity for us to to practice really good horticultural practices yeah. and actually think about. Um, and, we, and we've kind of got the time to, we've got the time and the luxury to be able to remove things which are flawed, yeah. and then replace them with mm. which with, with with things that aren't. Mm. Um, particularly some of the eucalypts and things like that, we're, yes. we're, we're starting to really think about uh, selective removal, strategic removal, and replacement with young stock. So I guess those uh, mature trees that you put in, they weren't grown in those um, air pruning pots. You know, the ones with the holes on the side, where the, if the roots reach the air, then they stop growing. Basically, Look, so, some of them were. Yeah. Um, but for a whole host of reasons, um, the project got delayed. Yeah. Uh, and we were holding the, – the, uh, we they're called rocket pots, I think. Uh, and we were holding um, trees in rocket pots for possibly 18 months longer than they, they mm-hmm. probably should, should have been. So whilst they didn't have 
girdling, though. Still quite pot-bounded planting. Sure. Yeah. yeah. The, the, those trees, their root systems are in, inherently better than the ones that were in containers and did that girdling thing. Mm. Um, but there were still kind of issues with, um, you know, planting uh, you know, 1.5 metre trees with a, a, a relatively small root ball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've been, think, we've been thinking trees yep, and uh, boricult- uh, boricultural yep, management of, yep. of, of the gardens. Well, it also, um, I mean, if you think about the home gardener who's got the luxury of, of a little bit more time, mm. I mean, so many times home gardeners want also want that instant gratification. Mm, yep. And you can imagine in a public space, you need to get something happening after straight after construction. Sure. Um, you've got to hold your soil for a start yep. and, you know, yep. you just need to get something in, in there yeah. um, and start creating microclimates. Yep. Um, but honestly, um, I mean, for the home gardener, if they plant just a small little seedling, yep. they're going to do so much better in the long run. Yep. I mean, it's going to actually overtake in height for a start. Of course. Compared to if you bought a, a more established tree. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It is, yeah. isn't it? Yep. Yeah. It's going to cost people, you... People think by... Paying out a lot of money, buying, you know, a tree that's so big, yep. they, they've got their, as I said, they've got their instant gratification, but in the long run, they're losing out. And, and you often see that in, in markets and, you know, you see market plant stalls and you see these great big you know, trees which are a metre tall in, yep. a, in a relatively small pot and, you know, people can see that they're, they're getting some real value for their mm. money mm. <laughs> and they're so happy about the bargain that they just got. Yes. Um, did you see that at Cramper and John? Like, did you plant some uh, seedlings yeah. um, size plants as well as the mature ones and then... Well, it's interesting that we've, we've got a, a, a kind of a live, a beautiful example of, of the advantages of planting small. We planted um, at the Riverside Precinct a bunch of uh, maybe 20 Tristaniopsis lorena yeah. as super advanced plants. So they went in with, you know, 1,000 litre pots um, and they sat and sulked for a long time. Mm. Um, a couple of them died. Um, they sulked to the point where they were just, they were just horrible <laughs> oh, to look at. Yeah. <laughs> Poor things. Yeah. So we pulled those out and replaced them with um, uh, young stock. Mm-hmm. The young stock is now as big as the 1,000 litre stock yep. um, and far much, much, much more healthy. Mm. Um, so so the, the, the plants that went in big have held... Um, they've not really grown that much. Yep. Um, and, you know, four years later, the thing that was a fraction of the price yes. is, is actually the same size and a better, and a better quality yep. tree. Mm. Yep. So it's going to cost you less. It, it's going to give you a better tree in the long time with more integrity, mm. just in terms of that root system thing yes. again. Yes, yeah. You know, because the roots will have grown into the soil. And, um, uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing. It it's, is. It, it, mm. it, it's an interesting thing. And, you know, I was just reflecting at the, the, a market last week where I could see people buying, uh, I think, no, they were eucalypts, and they had a tiny little pot and they were great big tall things. And you could see that they were so happy that they got a bargain because they've got a nice big one. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, um, it's just worth considering planting smaller and planting something which has not got a compromised root well, system. Well, there's other very valid reasons for doing that, John, isn't there? Because secondly, I mean, if you plant small, um, it's going to adapt much more quickly yep. to to its you know the conditions the soil conditions exactly. the climate yep. um, right from a very young age yep. and thirdly you're going to get wind movement hmm. which which strengthens that tree you don't yep. think about movement but yep. but that that gets that 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 tree used to a bit of movement there and it strengthens it up 
It's not going to flop over in a hurry no. compared to something that's got this meagre little root system that's top-heavy. That, that's, pro- that probably has to be staked in order to hold it up. It has to be staked for ages, so you've got the look of stakes in the garden as well. And, and the staking st- stopping it from sort of moving, moving and stabilising yes. into the soil. Absolutely. And, yeah, absolutely. Look, in terms of producing a, 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 a that quality tree, which is going to be there for a long time, there's all sorts of advantages in, in going smaller, isn't yeah, there? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 And just um, on that stake, Staking issue. I had a um, a hakea decurrens, which I was very excited about because it was one of the few trees or plants in the garden that the rabbits hadn't got to. And I I planted it in a um, in a um, an old log, right? An old hollow log, upright log, and um, it was going absolute gangbusters. And you know, it's probably I don't know, maybe a meter and a quarter tall and nice and bushy, and it's flowered a few years in a row, and it's got seed on it. And um, then I noticed it was starting to lean over slightly, so I thought, oh, you know, maybe the log's putting a bit of pressure on it. So we got the chainsaw out and and, and chopped the log off, and um, and then over the next day, it completely fell over. Okay. And and so I've had to stake it on on three sides, three sides. yeah, wrap it round with hessian, yep. and um, I, it was really interesting to see because the root system was extremely shallow. And right. I'm just thinking, you know, putting that log around, maybe it wasn't such a good idea. Possibly not, no. You know, but um, yeah, so it's I have to say it, it is hanging in there. So yep. it staked it up and um, yeah, covered it with compost, covered the root system with compost, and that's pretty much all I can do. But I've I've allowed that. As Pam was saying, that bit of movement, yes, yep. so that the roots Good. hopefully will, yeah, stabilise themselves. Well, one of the issues we're finding in at Cranbourne with establishing trees is exactly what you're talking about: roots sitting on the surface and not getting into the soil profile. Mm. Um, in some uh, areas of the Australian garden, the, the sands actually are quite water retentive and don't have a lot of air in them, particularly, okay. particularly in winter, so they're yes. a little bit waterlogged and quite heavy. Yes. They're called fatty sands. They've got a clay fraction oh, in them. Okay. So if you pick up the sand and rub it, it'll actually leave. There's quite a few fines in, in, okay. in, in the sands. Yeah. So the, the areas where we've got fatty sands and mulch, organic mulch on the top, which is full of humus and air and nutrients and water and life, mm. we're, we're finding that the roots are mostly, in not across the board, but in some instances the roots are mostly growing in and under the mulch, right, and not actually going into the Where into the into the cold wet soil. Yes, yeah. So there's kind of advantages in in, in sitting, you know, with your, with your roots on the surface, just in terms of air and moisture and you know nutrients and things like that, compared to cold wet soil. Mm. So in we, we're finding that another one of our challenges is not getting deep root penetration into the soil. Conversely, and that's with an organic mulch. Yeah. Conversely, when you're using and when with an inorganic mulch, so with a stone mulch, we're finding that we're getting much deeper root penetration into the soil because there's no advantage for the roots to sit on the surface. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's, it's almost a disadvantage yeah. because it's pretty hot and potentially yeah. yes, quite dry in summer. Up, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, it, it, there's a it, interesting happening with root systems and mulch um, in the Australian garden, mm. and that we're getting. As a generalisation, we're getting deeper rooting into the soil with inorganic mulches compared to organic mulches. Mm. Have you tried deep planting at all in any of the... Yeah, uh, so I know this is something that Angus Stewart has, has advocated. Yeah, and we've written about it in Have our you? books. It's yeah, doing my head yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it did a lot of people's head in, don't yeah. worry. It, the results are quite incredible, though um, I have to say that you need a certain amount of air porosity sure. in the soil. So I'm so thinking I- maybe... 
a the cold, soil down at Cranbourne might not work, but do you know what? I reckon it would really pay to experiment. Give a bit. it a try. Absolutely. So when you say deep, how deep is deep? Well, basically, just say you've got a plant that's um, you know maybe fifty centimeters tall. Um, you'd snip off the lower branches mm-hmm. and bury it maybe so it's uh, you know what? 25 centimeters yeah so and what i mean you'd know john you know the, those little um root uh, those yeah, little yeah. shoot systems instead yeah, yeah. of becoming shoots yep. they then they become, become roots. roots yeah and i've got a lot of um documentation which i'll show you could you, you please send me absolutely, some absolutely uh, because this. even things like eucalypts which you know they're not really um you wouldn't um you wouldn't propagate cop- them from cutting yeah, so yeah. you wouldn't think they'd they'd do any good but there's been a lot of fantastic results from things like eucalypts and other plants in a lot of different soils and and it, it creates this incredible root structure so not only do you have the initial root yeah, structure yeah. of the plant you yep. have a root structure forming from on the surface on, on the surface yeah so i think it's definitely worth a try I, we will do this yeah, beautiful. It, 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 it has completely done my head in yeah um because we do the opposite we 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 do the walk the wok oh, hole. Yes. We don't dig a deep hole. Oh, yeah. right. We we dig a shallow hole, which is wide. Yeah. Um, to try and encourage the roots, the to, roots to, to spread to spread, yeah. to spread out. But obviously, that's not paying dividends uh, well, because well, they're not going down yeah. deep enough. <laughs> this is right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, send me some information, please. Absolutely, think, I'd be very Angus keen to found find out more. A couple of um, plant types that didn't do so well, didn't he? Um, there were a couple of exceptions to the rule. Well, the exceptions actually were more with the soil. Soil. Okay. So, and I've tried it myself a couple of times and where we are it's really hard rocky clay yep. yep you know you don't go anywhere in the garden without a crowbar if you're going to dig a hole and it just the plants didn't die but they certainly didn't thrive didn't yep. Yep. but um you know angus and a bunch of people around the country have tried it on you know loamy soils and sandy soils yep. and you know the the list of plants that has been successful is incredibly native plants that yeah. have been successful is very long. Intuitively, you, you think cholera rot and you know all of those issues are, are, are about yeah. about yeah. A, a rotting base, but it just doesn't happen. Yeah, well that that's what I love about you know people that have thought outside the box and yep. the conservationist Bill Hicks who came up with the idea. I mean, he used long stem planting where he'd grow. Um, a plant in a in a tube, it, he'd grow it till it was about a meter tall. Really? So it was this really lanky thing, and and he created this idea because he was um, involved in stabilisation of riverbank projects, okay. Okay. and um, he was concerned that they were using a whole bunch of willows. And yep. he said, well, you know, why aren't we using eucalypts? And they said, oh, well, you know, the first flood, they're all they going to wash away. Yeah, so right. he said, well, let's grow them really long. So he grew them, you know, up to a meter long in tube stock, <laughs> and um, basically drilled a hole in the ground almost a metre deep, dropped the entire plant in it and got got incredible results. And when some of them that they dug up later, you could see all roots in that whole area that they dropped underground, all the roots had formed. I have to find out more about this. Yeah, John. I really do. We're going to change your tree planting down the Yeah, yeah, I have to find out more about this. (laughs) This But exactly the same thing applies in the veggie garden because – Tomatoes now, yeah, particularly exactly. yeah. if, if you raise tomatoes um, from seed and yeah. you've got them growing on your windowsill, yep. um, quite often, as you know, they'll get quite leggy because they're not getting they're, they're going up trying to get more sunshine. Sure, you know, while you're raising them before they get out into the into the actual 
sunshine. Yeah. So what you do is you plant them deep, really deep. You bury them right down, this same principle, yep. and you'll get the most fantastic tomato plants. Because it really works. You think of it, when, when a plant, if you forget to prune your tomato plants and really who doesn't forget to prune them occasionally and whatever branch hits the ground yeah, it sends yeah, out that root system. Roots, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. So, mm, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, um, I, 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 it's, it's doing me head in. What, what's, what's the next tree planting? What's the next project you've got happening down there? I don't know, but I'm, we're going to do something. Yeah, you have, think, have to yeah. experiment with some yeah. of them, you know, even if it's a third of the plants. And you know, we've got um, – well, in our, in our master plan, um, we, you know, we've just completed the master plan, and it 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 um, went to the board last week, and they've approved it with, oh, good. you know, just some minor suggestions, which is good. I mean, I think the suggestions are really strong. Um, one of the, the the areas that we've got in the garden is the southern grasslands. I don't know if you've ever been out to the back, the 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 the, the open grassy area of the, the Australian garden. Um, it's a it's a hundred hundred hectares. Yes, no, of, it's beautiful. Of, of open beautiful. rolling pasture lands. Yep. Um, we've the master plan says that we should be you know doing some arboretum style collection style plantings in there. Okay. This is the place to do some some trialing. Yes, absolutely. In, yeah, idea, yeah, yeah. On a kind of a landscape scale. Yep. Yes. Which would be really interesting. Yes. So yep. what's the intention with the grasslands? Will they be kept as grasslands, or you want to uh, change them? Yeah, there's a couple of uh, themes coming through. There, there is a, a suburb botanic ridge which will be adjoining the, the southern grasslands. So we know that we'll be providing some access to, to the suburb to our south. Yep. Probably only pedestrian access, mm-hmm. but we're still working through that. We're thinking that it'll be a little bit like a gels park Okay. Um, experiences in terms of the public amenity of that space. Yes. So opportunities for sort of picnicking and um, passive recreation um, and, and, and the like. But in a, uh, a, a land management sense, um, we, we'll certainly be looking at ecological restoration and having hab- habitat connectivity with, with, with the suburb. The, the, the risk with the site is that we become an island of biodiversity in this sea of urban condition. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been at the at the table with the planning authorities to in, ensure that we have active biological links, radial links outside the gardens. So that'll be a, a big part of the work that we do it will be ecological restoration and connecting um, uh, wildlife habitat to the surrounding areas. So that's a, that's really interesting work. Absolutely. You know, that's kind of cutting, cutting edge. Yeah. yeah, and kind of cut, cutting edge a little bit as well. Um, so there'll be a bunch of ecological restoration activities happening in that space. Um, we've said that there'll be spaces for collections um, uh, and certainly opportunities for, for, for doing some of those experimentation and trialling, yeah, which will be really, really good. Um, I suspect there will be some conservation activities in there as well yep. in terms of um, uh, conservation seed orchards mm-hmm. and uh, uh, those types of those types of things. We, what the, we haven't completely resolved what that space will be in a master planning sense, but we've said that the, the, here are the key elements. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, so that, we need to do a full landscape plan for, for that area. Uh, but ecological restoration and um, it, it's, it's really interesting that we, it was quite degraded in terms of the um, mostly exotic grasses, mm-hmm. uh, but with reasonably high levels of wallaby grazing and uh, a number of years of below average rainfall, the 
species composition in in the southern grasslands is changing to be a more native suite of grasses. Interesting. Yeah, it I, is. I would have expected the other way around, actually. Yeah. Well, it, it, yes, yes, you would. But but with that the grazing pressure and drier, it's advantage natives. Wonderful. Um, and we're finding that. Uh, um, the percentage of native grass cover in the native in the southern grasslands is increasing. Um, what we want to do is, you know, um, manage that area so we get net gain. Uh, so there's wonderful opportunities to do, be doing some interesting ecological restoration work. Mm. You know, Paul, people heard of Paul Gibson Roy. He um, he does. Uh, reconstructed grassy ecosystems in degraded areas, and he's worked out how to do it. Um, okay. So on, on landscape scales, right? Uh, in, incredible work out in, in, in the western districts. Okay. We'll be looking at doing some of that um, grassy ecosystem restoration work Fantastic. to enhance what's already Are there. Are you working yeah. with him? Uh, we, well, whether it'll be with Paul, but using his principles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. yeah. Has he got books out on the subject? Uh, lots of lots of published papers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wonderful. Yep. And what about the surrounding the new suburb? Is that currently being built? Uh, over the next. 10 or 15 years, okay. we'll have, I think it's 3,000 dwellings to mm-hmm. our south, which is a population of, I don't know, 10,000 people, ah. um, which is both opportunity and threat. Oh, yes. Um, mm. o- opportunity being that, that we will certainly be a – there's an opportunity to be really relevant and and, and be a hub for, for, for this community and to be the lungs for that community and, you know, all of the advantages of having that green space. The, the the threats are um, you know impacts on that connectivity of habitat yeah. that be an island of biodiversity. Well, you know what I reckon would be a fantastic idea if the council, uh, you and the council worked in together, and you may well already be doing this to, to uh, you know um, encourage them to be planting natives. What's at Cranbourne? So you're extending that corridor even further. You Absolutely, know, extending it out into the burbs. Our, our landscape planner Jill Burness. Um, she she has a fantastic relationship with the council yep. and has been working really well with with the city of Casey for for a number of years. So the city of Casey have really come to the party. Um, one of the big issues that we have in a master planning sense is is accessing the site yes. from off the site. Yes. Um, and uh, you know we've got a dirt road that takes us to our west entry. Um, uh, there's some wonderful opportunities to have really enhanced access um, to the site from the west. Uh, and, you know, in conversations with council, they're, they're looking to be really supportive um, to make that a really interesting and um, uh, make it a great entrance, mm-hmm. make it a really, really terrific entrance experience. Yeah. Um, you know, we know that you, you sort of see these brown signs on the South Gippsland Highway and it's a bit of a prompt but not really a compelling one to go and visit. So, um, you know, the master plan is, is pointed to get together with the city of Casey and Vic Roads and other agencies and actually have um, a, uh, a prompt to pull people off the South Gippsland Highway and come in a, on, on the site. Mm. It, it's been a, the master planning process has been really terrific. We did it in house, which I think was really good. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of you know, quite a few chapters in the master plan are about. Um, the relationship that we have with the city of Casey and mm. what we do beyond the the, the, the fences of the gardens. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of people just don't know what to do with their garden, do they? I mean, you no. drive around the burbs and you think they, they don't have a clue, but peop- a lot of people do care and oh, they, yeah. you know, they want to learn and if there's that sort of interaction between you and them and they know they can come to you for advice on what to plant and, yep. you know, why it's important to plant it. And, I mean, I think we're so lucky in Australia because... <clears throat> 
our councils are really into native plants, mm. aren't they? I mean, yep. compared to elsewhere in the world, yep. you know, there's a lot of um, planting of native vegetation in, in public landscapes. Yep. And, you know, a lot of councils have nurseries with indigenous plants and put out booklets. So we really are quite lucky. Yeah. So, and I'm sure City of Casey is one of, the, is one of those they, they, Look, they really are. Yeah. yeah. And, and we've been working really well particularly through Jill as our landscape planner. Um, uh, we've been working really well with, mm. with, this, with the city of Casey. But one of the things in a master planning sense is that we, we're aspiring to have a community nursery on site. Oh, good. Yeah, which would be absolutely fantastic, you know, to be a real hub for That's environmental exciting. activities mm. in yep. horticulture. Yep. Um, but, of course, uh, that, that to, for all of that to flourish and to really work, You've got to engage with the public. Exactly. And yeah. that's, that's the big issue. You've got to talk to the people who are going to be buying in Absolutely. to this new suburb. Yep. Yeah. And, and up until you know, recently, we've been quite isolated. We, have, we actually, it, it's a, it's a, the Cranmer Gardens has been a destination rather than something which is a neighbourhood space. Well, you had to get the initial construction yeah, done. You had exactly. to get it up and running. Absolutely. Yeah. Now it's time to think about the, the whole broader horizon. Yeah. And, yes. and with a community of 10,000 people around us, we can actually be that community hub. That's right. Um, which is really quite exciting. But, uh, you know, one of the aspirations that we have is, um, you know, how do you measure the success of something like a, an Australian garden? I mean, I think one of the really nice measures, and I don't know how you would actually do this, but um, would be that the garden inspires and increase in the appropriate use of Australian native plants in urban landscapes. Mm, mm. That would, wouldn't that be a great oh, thing yeah, to aspire absolutely. to so that we have influence? Yeah. Um, and the thing is for people to be able to come in and see what the plants are doing, yep. you know, become familiar with the plants because yep. if you're familiar with a plant, you're much more likely to use it in the garden, aren't you? I mean, think That's of right. the plants that you grew up with. Yeah. You know, you, yep. you, and the more people use natives in the garden, you know, their kids grow up knowing them and yep. they want to use them in the garden. But particularly if, if you've got, <coughs> well... Labels on the plants. Yep. Labeling is important. Yep. So people are wandering through the gardens. They can actually see what it is. Then they can go to your nursery yep. on site and, 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 and take some home. Yep. Yep. And 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 if if what they buy in the nursery comes with with um, you know some planting instructions, some some general um, horticultural care for yep. the plant. Yep. Um, and All if the they've better. got problems, they can come back and ter- talk to nursery staff. Absolutely. So it's it's a win-win. Mm. It is a winner. So no brainer, John. It, it's in. The, yeah, it, it's that was. I was really happy that that came through, and it came through quite strongly in yep. the um in, 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 in the mix. Do you have any um, numbers as to the people who are locals that visit Cranbourne? Uh, yeah, with the, the majority of. As in greater than. Look, I don't know that it's the majority. The, the significant pop percentage of the population is from um, the city of Casey. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, which is, which is, which is good. Um, top end of the Mornington Peninsula, Frankston. Um, so, yeah, we have, do, do have demographic uh, information and yep. uh, the, the people that visit the most are um, people from the city of Casey, which is, which is really nice. pleasing. That's excellent. Yeah, yep. which, is, which is really pleasing. Yep. Okay, we have to get on to a few other things. And firstly, before I forget, it's, it's high time we invited our listeners to join us. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning or if you'd like to have a chat to John and AB, we'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155. The other thing I must do before we continue any further is to say a big thank you to all our listeners who supported the Radiothon last week. Um, 
we we really did well. We haven't quite reached our target, which we're hoping to do over the next couple of weeks. But to everyone that supported us, a huge, huge thank you. And a couple of donations that came in at the end of the program we didn't manage to acknowledge on air last week. I will acknowledge now. And one is... Um, a donation of $150 from Judith uh, out in Hampton Park there. Judith was able to pick up some uh, books uh, as a result of that. Thank you so much, Judith. And also uh, $100 from Fran out in Nidri. And again, Fran, thank you so much for your donation. And all of this, of course, goes to helping support 3CR and the gardening show in particular for the next 12 months. This is our major fundraising uh, for the next 12 months, this is what the station has to budget on uh, because, of course, we have uh, massive costs in electricity and all the rest of the things that go with the station. Even though um, most people that come in here, like like the three of us, um, are absolutely, uh, well, total volunteers. volunteers. We don't gain one cent from doing it. We don't mind coming in and sharing and having discussions. We love talking to our listeners. We like meeting up with each other. <laughs> Absolutely. It's good fun. <laughs> we all have good fun, but uh, we do, uh, of, of course, there are costs associated with the station and we're very grateful to the station. They've supported the gardening show ever since its inception uh, way back when. So um, so this is a great way to support. W- way back when is, when did it start, the gardening show? Cam uh, doesn't like to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> the gardening show is actually, well, the station is 40 years old. That's year. right, yeah, The yeah. gardening show actually started. Started 39 years ago, so it's one of the wow. one of the very early programs. Wow. It started as, as simply as a little 20 minute segment, okay. and it's grown and grown. And uh, of course, now we've been running for just under two hours for many many years. Yeah. So yes, it's mm. um, it, and and when we started off, we were considered incredibly radical, totally radical. True. Talking about gardening, talking about gardening, <laughs> things really? like. Compost. Nobody composted. Um, you know, for a start, that was that was really radical. Worm farms. What are they talking about? You know, this was just ridiculous. Really? Yeah. People were still gardening along the you know the the British model. Sure. Um, they certainly weren't talking about native plants. No. They certainly weren't talking about things like no dig gardens. No. Who ever heard of a no dig garden? Yeah, yeah. For goodness' sake. Or planting trees deep. Yeah. It's not too late to continue to subscribe. Absolutely not. Nope. And in fact, um, just to uh, to give people a bit of a reminder, we do we do still have a lot of fantastic product um, that uh, hasn't gone as yet. We have loads and loads of books, but as well as some of these wonderful books we have, we have a lot of um, nursery vouchers. We have vouchers for workshops. Um, we still have one Ewood raised garden bed, which is just fantastic. Um, we have $100 off a wicking bed. Now, there's another revolutionary yep. idea, yep. the idea of wicking beds. But they work so well for vegetable gardens because Perfect. because you've got that reservoir of water at the base of your gardening yep. bed. So you're not out there every day, sometimes twice a day in the middle of the growing season if it's been a hot day yep. because you've got your water reservoir. Now, this was unheard of I mean, even a couple of years ago. Sure. So, yep. um, 
There are advances in the gardening world. That have been tracked through the 3CR gardening show. Absolutely. <laughs> and and we're very you, proud of them. Very good. Very good. <laughs> so uh, if, if, you, uh, if you haven't donated to the gardening show and our Radiothon, um, give, give the office staff a ring during the week. And uh, just say, look, I'm happy to donate $50 or $100. What can I get from that? They can suggest some books or, or some vouchers or whatever else you'd be interested in. We've still got subscriptions to things like Earth Garden and Organic Gardener magazine. So there's a lot there still uh, to tempt you with if you'd like to, uh, to add to our tally and help us get to our uh, final target for this year. But... Uh, as I said, uh, if you'd like to join in the conversation this morning, we'd love to hear from you. And it looks like we have our first listener there up online. We have uh, Jill, who's out in East Brighton. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Jill. Um, look, I'm just ringing up as a little fan call because um, I've, uh, during the week, I, as part of my uh, donation, I received AB's book, The Australian Garden. Oh, oh lovely. And I'm more than halfway through it, and I'm absolutely loving it, A.B. It's oh. just terrific. Oh, I'm so pleased to hear that, Jill. What, what's particularly taken your fancy with it? I particularly liked the way in which you showed the gardens and explained what went, had gone into the making of them and um, some of the principles at work. I found that, and the you know, with the pictures as well as... But I thought you're, you're such a good writer. I'm a, I'm a writer myself, and I, I, I feel the way you kind of tell stories to get the information across makes it so interesting and accessible. And um, yes, yeah, so so you know that that was terrific. And I am planning to make my front garden a more native garden. I'm going to completely <laughs> redo it, but um, until my husband inherits, can't quite afford what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a terrible thing to say, um, but but yes, um, I'm I'm hoping to have uh, uh, some running water for the birds and for hopefully frogs and other critters and the kinds of vegetation that's going to uh, attract them and give them shelter and food. Um, and all that, you know, just there's so many ideas in your book for all of that. Um, oh, I'm, I'm so pleased, Joe. Yeah, we, we did try and include as many experts as possible and even, you know, people who've created their own gardens, just the um, trials and triumphs that they went through with their, with their gardens and how they overcame them, I think is really yes. valuable for other people to learn about. Absolutely, yes, I, I, I agree. You know, that was the sto- you know, as I said, those stories they contain so much information, uh, but in a way that's very easily digestible. And um, just some of the interesting principles you talk, you know, talk about, including the deep planting, which you know, yes, like, yes. And I'm sort of thinking, ooh, ooh, will I dare to do that? Yes, dare to do it. Give it a go. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, certainly, I was listening to what you were saying before about the tube stock, and I can remember uh, years ago, um, many years. ago, go now I've, I've got we've got the most magnificent um lemon scented gum that i planted in the front garden and everyone was saying oh don't plant those little drop on the house blah blah anyway of course it hasn't and it, we just got it i insisted on getting a tube stock because i knew about the fact that uh, it would outstrip a, a you know a larger tree in a that was possibly root-bound. Lovely. And it uh, took off like a rocket. Although I also have to say, uh, it's not true that possums won't um, eat, you know, native uh, eucalypts. Uh, it went through a phase where it just never seemed to grow and never seemed to have any new leaves. Mm. And I kept looking at the trunk, you know, which is a nice smooth trunk, looking for claw marks. 
and couldn't see them until one morning near dawn. I, I noticed the... Um, I, I could just see because the light was at a low angle, these little scratch marks up the trunk. Yep. Yeah, possum will get up and down anyway. <coughs> yeah, yeah, so I had to, for a few couple of years, I put, um, you know, the perspex around. Yep. And the tree just said, oh, thank you. And <laughs> like a rocket. <coughs> Went off, yeah. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah. But yes, yes, it's a fabulous book, AB, and you really should be congratulated. And I hope that there's an, another edition coming out very soon. Oh, well, you might have to ring up the publisher and, and, and suggest that to them, I think. <laughs> yes, all right. Um, okay, might do that. Good yeah, on you, Jill. It's, it's a wonderful book, and, you know, obviously, you and Angus must have put in a huge amount of work into it. And I think. Um, it, um, is the normal selling price 55? Uh, no, it's, it's normally 50. Well, I yeah. think that is incredibly good value for, for what it is because, you know, it's both, in many ways, it's both the coffee table book where you get inspiration from the pictures, but it's got such a lot of good text as well. Oh, thanks, Jill. It's very kind words. And, yeah, we were very happy with our editor because, of course, you know, Angus and I have got, you know, relatively different writing styles and, yes. um, you know, for the editor to, to bring them together and um, make it quite, um, yeah, you know. Pretty seamless, really. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah. well, I very much appreciate your kind words, Jill. <laughs> <My pleasure. laughs> and good luck with the front garden. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes, I, I, Look forward to hearing nice, about it. It's nice planning it and uh, it'll happen one day. Yeah, the planning bit is the exciting bit. <clears throat> it is. It's lovely. Yeah. Yep. Oh, good on you, Jill. Okay. Thanks, thanks. for that. Bye. Bye. And next up, we're going to go to Phil, who's out in Digger's Rest. Morning, Phil. Oh, good morning, everyone. I was ringing regarding some bottle brushes I have at home here. I have a long row of them, mm-hmm. and I think they're James Cook, they're called, and they're, uh, they've probably been in for about 12, 13 years now, but they really have never been given a decent trim. Is it Would I be able to trim them up now so they'd come good in the spring, or should I leave it later, or...? Well, that kind of the rule of thumb is that you, um, that you, with the cholestamines, that you kind of lightly prune them after flowering, right? Um, and that you you do that from an early age. How how big are the uh, how big are the the, the, the plants? They'd probably be up about four and a half feet. Four and a half feet, yeah, that's fine. Um, Captain Cook, I think it is, is one of the Viminalis yep. um, cultivars. Yep. Um, and look, Viminalis will take a a, a prune. Um, you could prune to shape. Uh, I'd let them do this year's flowering and then, and then you know, the come in and, and and then prune after after the after you've enjoyed the flowers for this year. All oh, right, so straight after they've flower, finished flowering. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. About, and, yeah, and they do they do respond well to a really hard prune. So if you need to take it down quite low, they'll they'll shoot back up. All oh, right, oh, terrific. So they're re-sprouters. They yeah. are re-sprouters. Yep. All right, then. thank you very much for that. Okay, okay. thank you. Goodbye. Now, I should get to some community announcements because there are a few things uh, happening over the next uh, couple of weeks. First up, of course, today is the first Sunday in the month. That means, again, that uh, Villa Alba has its open day. This is both the, uh, the historic house and the RJ Hamer Heritage Garden. It's open from 1 o'clock this afternoon, running through till 4 o'clock. $10 admission, $8 concession, children are free and afternoon tea is available with a $3 donation. So, uh, uh, yes, that's all happening. Um, 
Also, of course, uh, there's more pruning demonstrations taking place around uh, Melbourne and, uh, and also regional areas. This is being run by the Victorian Rose Society. Now, the next lot of prunings coming up um, for next weekend on both Saturday and Sunday, they're going to be down in the Mornington Botanical Rose Gardens, which is on the corner of Mornington, Tyab and Duns Road in Mornington. 11 o'clock and 2 p.m. Now, this is a hands-on one, so bring your own clean secateurs. Uh, then also, um, uh, yes, the, that's the only two for next weekend, so I'll, I'll give the fo- following ones later. So I'll just repeat that. Next Saturday and Sunday, that's the 9th and 10th of July, Mornington Botanical Rose Gardens, uh, BYO secateurs, 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., uh, now, also coming up again next week end, uh, the Maribyrnong Orchid Society has got its winter show on. The venue there is the Maribyrnong Community Centre, which is in Randall Street in Maribyrnong, uh, tram stop number 57. Uh, um, and the times uh, for that show, 9am to 4pm on both days, the entry cost is $5 for that one. So that's uh, both next Saturday and Sunday, Maribyrnong Orchid Society Winter Show at Maribyrnong Community Centre, Randall Street in Maribyrnong, uh, from 9am <coughs> right through until 4 again. Um, now, also coming up, this one is for the diary. Uh, it's being run by Friends of Burnley Gardens and... Uh, with Chris England. Now, uh, this is uh, a bit of an annual event with Chris, uh, but it's another pruning and the art of Espalia workshop. Uh, the, uh, pr- uh, the program for the day will be demonstrating in the Burnley Gardens Orchard. Chris will show you how to prune for different types of fruit tree training. Then you have a go under his watchful eye and later under supervision you work on your own tree. So you get a choice of apple or pear and you can create a beautiful piece of living art there. And finally, of course, you take your tree home with you to plant in your own garden. Now the date for this is Saturday the 6th of August, 10am through to 1pm. The venue is the nursery at Burnley Campus, which, of course, is at 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. Um, You do need to wear closed shoes shoes for health and safety requirements and also BYO clean secateurs. All plant materials will be supplied, including the bare-rooted fruit tree, which has a value of $30. Now, bookings, of course, are essential for this. You can phone 9035 6815 and leave a message or you can email friends.burnley at gmail.com that's friends.burnley at gmail.com now the cost for members of the Friends of Burnley Gardens is $84 for non-members $99 that includes morning tea and they do need payment in advance so uh, that number again if you'd like to make inquiries 9035 6815, and that's all coming up on Saturday the 6th of August. That'll be a, a ripper of a session. Chris England oh, is... He does brilliant yeah, Australia's. Incredible. Stunning. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And yeah. he loves pruning. Yeah. I think that that's how he got into doing the Espalian nursery yes. and specialising in that because he, he's well, an he incessant pruner. Yeah. <laughs> but he used to work out in a fruit orchard. <clears throat> 
Um, Indeed. And that's where it all started. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Obviously, it wasn't enough pruning for him. No. No, no. He just wanted more and more. Now, John, you've got one there too. We do. The Friends at the uh, Cranbourne Gardens uh, later in the month, so Sunday the 31st of July, a couple of my um, staff, a couple of my colleagues, uh, Sturt Gibbs and Trevor Seppings, were fortunate to get uh, a scholarship, an Elizabeth Murdoch, Murdoch scholarship, which was a travel scholarship, and they spent um, three weeks in South Australia. Uh, moving around looking at gardens and um, arboretums and things like that. So this is a report on their their South Australian visit. Um, it was a really cracking trip. They uh, learnt so much uh, on the road. Um, and, you know, they visited places like um, Pangarinda um, Botanic Garden, um, uh, Neville Bonney. Um, they, uh, they went to the Botanic Gardens of South Australia, um, um, up as far as Port Augusta to a property, a, a, an old pastoral lease called Calperum Station. Um, went to the Waite Arboretum, um, to the Currency Creek Arboretum, uh, and just saw so much over a, a couple of weeks. So um, it'd be terrific to, to come along and l- listen to Sturt and, and, and Trevor and what they learnt whilst they were on the road. Mm. Yeah. And what, what was the aim of the, the trip, John? Um, Sturt was interested in um, – he looks after our Gondwana garden. Okay. Um, so Sturt was interested in uh, rainforest plants which are grown well outside their natural range. Uh, so right. Sturt's particular focus were places like the Waite Arboretum, um, which has got a bunch of East Coast species, which are a long way from their, oh, yes. their, their natural habitat. They get establishment watering and that's it. Um, uh, and the Botanic Gardens of South Australia, um, to coincide with the Bicentennial Conservatory, they established a really significant collection of East Coast rainforest species and, again, a long way out of range. Mm. Um, so Sturt's focus was on um, uh, looking at rainforest plants in arid and, and, and dry, hotter climates. Uh, Trevor is a bit of a eucalypt um, nut, uh, so he was looking at uh, you know, all things eucalyptus. Right, he was a um, eucalypt capsule. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> eucalypt capsule would be more appropriate. Uh, so... T- <clears throat> Yeah, Trev's focus was uh, was was around looking at eucalypts. Right, um, but it was more general than that. Than that, that, that they looked, they went through the old ways and they had a look at some rainforest and you know a bit of bush tucker and uh, you know arid plants at the arid lands botanic gardens and you know they uh, they saw a lot mm. um, and have got a really good presentation. So that's okay. on the that's on the thirty first of July. Um, what are the <coughs> details of the talk, John? Uh, it is th- uh, Sunday, thirty first of July, two to three thirty. Uh, that's at the Australian Garden uh, Auditorium uh, down at the Cranbourne Gardens. Uh, there is a, a fee for me- friends members. It's fifteen dollars, uh, twenty dollars. Uh, sorry, friends memberships twenty, but fifteen dollars. Adults twenty dollars. Students ten dollars. Yep. And so, I'm, I'm, I'm. I keep saying it, but I'm delighted that there's now a couple of groups and the Friends of Cranbourne Botanic Gardens being one group that actually really try and encourage students to come along by lowering the cost for them. It's great, um, isn't it? So yeah. that they do come along and they learn because otherwise it can, it can be quite exorbitant, particularly some of the, the bigger workshops that are run around. And seminars and conferences, yes, they exactly. become expensive. But this, this is a really nice way of doing some prof- professional development for 10 bucks for a student. Exactly. It's um, great. So that's Sunday, 31st of July. 2 to 3.30 at the Australian Garden. Brilliant. Uh, And I think Roger's put his um, email address up if anyone wants any more information. So that's R.G. Elliott, so E-L-L-I-O-T at optusnet.com.au. Brilliant. Terrific. 
Okay, we need to go to our next caller. We have Lynn who's out in Windsor. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. Problem with my apricot tree. Um, the branches are grey, but something's either been eating. It's all gone like a rusty colour on probably about six of the top branches. So I can't see it exactly because it's too high. Would that be possums eating the outer layer? Quite possibly. So the bark, you can see the bark's actually been eaten. Yeah. What yeah. I can see is it, it is silver bark, like a silvery colour, but then it's a, a strong chocolate colour on about six of the high branches. Is there nutrients in that top bit that they would be eating? Yeah, possibly, yes, but it also could be the bark hardening off. Mm. I'm wondering about dieback just... as well. Uh, have you, have you, so can you reach those branches? No, that's my problem. It's a really big tree. It's a really old tree. I think it might be on its way out. Mm, well, so... Apricot trees do live for quite a long time. It might be worth Are you able to um, safely get a ladder and go up and snip off a couple of the branches to see if it is dieback or to see what's going on? Um, yeah, yeah, I could do that. Because if it was possums, you would actually see, you know, teeth marks, and and uh, you would see the the uh, the bark removed and the underlying wood exposed. Well, that's what it looks like. Okay. To me. Okay. But because it's so high up, I can't really see it. Yeah, I, th- I think th- I think you're going to need to somehow Inspect get closer, it. even if you've get got a pair of long loppers where where you yeah. could lop a section off. Yeah. Yep. And uh, take it into your nursery for closer inspection yep. because, I mean, apricot trees, they do develop that nice kind of dark rusty brown bark as well. So it could just be ah. natural hardening off. Maturing bark. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so that's the healthy thing if it's hardening off and going brown. Correct. Yes, that's, that, oh. that's, that's how apricot trees go. Oh, Okay. Although, I mean, it, it, it kind of sounds a bit odd given that your tree is quite old. You know, you'd think it would have happened already. already established yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. so, and, it, and it's interesting that you've just noticed it now. But, yeah, yeah no, I'd be, I'd be lopping a branch off. And then you, also you'll be able to tell if it, it is die back, you know, if those branches have, have died back to that particular point, in which case you can prune back. Yep. All righty. Okay. Thank you for your help. Thanks, right, Lynn. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, now, we've had a little message that uh, <coughs> someone hasn't received their vouchers yet. Now, if if you have donated to the Radiothon and you haven't um, received it yet, I know the, the mail is a lot slower these days, unfortunately. Um, you do have to allow a few more days. But, look, if you have any queries at all about um, your donations... Uh, do give the office staff a ring during office hours during the week. We have um, no way of, of knowing whether those uh, vouchers or whatever or books or whatever have been actually posted out yet, but they'll be able to uh, check up on their computers and tell you exactly when they were posted or whether they're about to be posted. So do give the office staff a ring um, during office hours, during the week, that number to ring them on is 94198377. Um, and just ask for one of the office staff in, in conjunction with the Gardening Radiothon and you'll get that information. Okay, if you'd like to join us this morning, we're running through to our usual time slot, which is 9.15. We'd love to hear from you. We've got John Arnott, who's Manager of Horticulture at RBG Victoria, I have to say, which is, they've lengthened the title now because then I have to add Cranberg Gardens. Gardens. Yep. So it's 
In some ways, it's not helpful. <laughs> it, you might be feeling all cosy with your 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 with big our colleagues family, of Melbourne, but yeah. yes, can't you just come up with a good <clears throat> acronym or something? The Cranbourne Gardens kind of works as the was much the, easier, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But anyway, um, and we also, of course, have AB Bishop in the studio as well. So we'd love to hear from you. That number nine four one nine zero one double five nine four one nine zero one double five. Abby, you brought some plants in this morning, which we haven't discussed oh, yet. I did. Now, um, what I have brought in actually is relatively boring. It's just uh, two Mondo grass. But what I've done with them, I have created um, what is known as Kokodama, which is... Kokodama? <laughs> is that because it looks like a coconut? <clears throat> well, it's actually K-O-K-E-D-A-M-A, and it's um, a Japanese word which translates as moss ball. Nice. And you might have seen them... Now, that's hanging. not mothball. No, <laughs> definitely not <laughs> mothball. Much too big for a mothball. <clears throat> And much nicer as well. Um, so what it is basically is they, you plant up a plant and instead of using a pot, you use moss or some kind of surrounding. You might see them in markets or some of the nurseries have got them. You know, they're just these round balls. And um, we've, um, we've done a story on them on Gardening Australia. And, okay. and Jane was creating them. So I was doing a bit of experimentation with them. And um, traditionally you use, um, you know, a, a particular soil mix. And I've, I experimented quite a lot and, and decided that the best soil mix for me was um, half bonsai mix because it's quite grainy and, um, you know, it's got good aeration and half clay from the garden because that holds the ball it, together. Yeah, it's got yeah, really right. well. Yeah. Yeah. And then you mix it with a bit of water and um, – I've I've used mondo grass here because it's it's quite hardy, but you can use a range of plants. You can use ferns and whatnot, and then you just you take the uh, the soil, the original soil from the mondo grass, whatever whatever plant you've used, you wash that off, and then you create this ball of mud around the root system. Okay, and um, then you kind of squish it together quite hard, and then you can you can wrap it in various things. Now the traditional way is to wrap it in moss, and where I live in the bush, there's you know, I've got a carpet of moss through, you know, the the forest there. So I've used the moss, but a lot of people also use sphagnum moss and that's not really sustainable. So it's not something I'd recommend. So I was using this um, moss, but I also experimented and wrapped it with um, melaleuca bark. Yeah, yeah. melaleuca okay. bark, which is readily available. And it's a sustainable source. And I also did a few with hessian, with double layers of hessian. That and that worked sense. really well. And then you um, tie it up with string, just randomly tie it round and round and round and then you soak them in in water until they stop bubbling and then you can just hang them so um kokodama moss ball if you if you um google that you'll see and they're actually quite simple to make and a lot of fun a great so, project to do with kids. It is a great project. And, you know, I had a lot of fun working out the, the best soil mix. And there are different recipes available online. But I found, yeah, the bonds, half bonsai and half clay from the garden. Or you can buy clay from um, the hardware store, garden centre. Um, and, yeah, I've, I've used quite a few different plants. And I was, I'm surprised, actually, because I did these probably about maybe a month and a half ago, something like that. And I just soak them once a week. 
until the air bubbles start coming out of them. And yeah, they're, they're beautiful. They're, they're really, pre- they're pretty cute, aren't they? Oh yeah, yeah, they're very cute. So, They've got a real personality to them. They really they? do. They, they, they do. They could have yeah. a name. <laughs> Kids could give them the Mondo Grass a haircut. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you could <laughs> put, put a little, face you on. Could put little faces yeah. on them as well. <laughs> yeah. So no, that's. Um, I, I love experimenting with different ways of growing plants, and uh, yeah. So cool. I, I would imagine you would have to think about um, your, your outside covering. Now you've you, you've used the bark and you've used the moss, and you mentioned the hessian but it would have to drain wouldn't it and you yeah. would need some sort of aeration yeah you you need it so that it can soak up water the paperback one as you'd probably well imagine it doesn't soak up mm, as well as the up. other ones but it does it eventually gets in you know because there's little holes through it and i yep. just leave it soaking in a bucket of water you know for a couple of hours and you know it's fine and it, and it looks really sweet so uh, Give it a go, I say. And Absolutely. you could use a number of other uh, plants for, for this. Yeah. The thing that comes to mind is, is some of those um, Talansia oh, yes. bromeliad things, which I think would be really quite uh, amenable to that. Yeah, well, if you Google it, you'll see that people have – you know, experiment with a lot of different plants, you know, and it is, it's a cross between, um, apparently a cross between bonsai and ikebana. Okay. So <laughs> the traditional way of um, the Jap- how the Japanese do it, they'd create these big moss balls and then they'd have them sitting in a beautiful oh. um, saucer or something of water so right. it could continuously soak up. And then it um, was a, a Dutch man who came up with the idea of wrapping string around it and, ha- and hanging them. So, um, but yeah, I've used ferns in them as well and I've got some natives that are ready to go in the next lot of planting. So, so. what what should I Google? Uh, Kokodama, K O K E D A M A. It's one word. Kokodama. Yeah, and it's, it's Japanese for moss ball. And, and we've Jane is doing a segment on it in, in a few weeks. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to air, but um, yeah, so she'll she'll be able to show you how to do it. If you do, I just did. Uh, Google Kokodama images. Yeah, <coughs> there's some. It's be- amazing. It's isn't incredible. It? Yeah, yeah. I mean, people are even doing um, um, what like kumquats. Yeah, kumquat yeah. trees yeah. and and all sorts of things. So I, I say experiment as much as you can. There's kumquats. There's pineapples. There's yep. orchids. Um, all sorts of things. It's quite amazing. Primulas, it's a, that's, that's <coughs> incredible. Oh, that and now I can tell you for sure that primulas do not work. I tried it with primula and right. it, it took about two days, and it went no, I don't think so. It looked gorgeous when I first did it, yes. and then I wrapped it. It was a it was a hot pink primula, and I wrapped the moss with a hot pink string. So it looked sensational, uh, but it lasted about three days, and I said, no, I don't think so. This is not for me. Yep. Um, but whereas the, the mondo grass and ferns, and I've given them to various people and um, waiting to hear reports back on how they're going. So it's quite a few uh, um, succulents. Succulents, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the important thing is to make sure you've got that good aeration in there as well. So That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's worth Googling. It is worth Googling. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> I'm not just a crazy horticulturist. <laughs> no, it's, it's a wonderful technique. Yeah. And that's a really interesting new – well, it's, it possibly has um, origins that go back a number of years. But I would imagine again, that's it, the it first would. time I've seen yes. anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do, you, do you know any of the history of them, the Japanese history of how long they've been – Doing no, it? I'm, I, well, I'm sure I, um, I'm just trying to think. It, it, I, I guess, you know, similar time frame as bonsai and ikibana, you know, probably, you know, hundreds at least Well, of exactly, years. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and um, 
I mean, I th- I'm sure their their creations are a lot more asymmetrical than mine. Mine are a bit squishy and wonky, but um, <laughs> you know, they they are. That adds character. It does add character, yeah. And um, no, they they look really good hanging in the glass house. So, yeah. But and that's one thing I should say. You need to have them hanging out of the sun. If you create them, just yeah, have them hanging inside and then soak them every now and again. And- okay. Or under yeah. eaves. Under eaves, absolutely. Yep. They're like a really funky um, hanging are. basket. Yeah, yes, absolutely. They are. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'd, I'd say give them a go. Give them yeah. a go. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else have you brought in, Amy? Oh, okay. I've brought in um, – John, I'll just oh, show that to you. Mun- yeah. Muntries. Muntries, yes. It's um, Kanzia pomifera, and it's, it's not indigenous to my area, but I'm putting it in anyway. And mm. Well, I've actually put a couple in and um, – protected them from the rabbits so they're you know starting to grow really well it's um a little um australian plant um this is it's a hardy dwarf evergreen spreading shrub with masses of fluffy white sweetly scented flower heads in late spring and the flowers are followed by little blue berries that are edible have you got them down at mm, Cranbourne? Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And are you? Are they fruiting down there? They've been down at Cranbourne for for some time on yeah. um, on House and Hill. There's there's an old planting of of, um, of Kunzia permifera. Yeah. So it's persisted in the landscape for for years and years and years. Yeah. So it's a pretty robust. And do thing. you harvest fruit from it, or do you just uh, eat it for the animals? Well, it, we haven't produced a lot of fruit. The plants on, on the hill. Yeah. Although it is moving around, so it's got a little bit weedy. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. So, because it produces the the, the, the berry, yeah, and the berry become of kind of bird lollies, and they can get distributed. I don't think it's a big issue. Yeah, um, you know, I don't think it's a. It, but just you wouldn't to you wouldn't watch. not grow it because of its weed yeah. potential. Yeah. But, but it is it is it's one of those ones to to, to watch. Yeah. Um, and but the fruit are lovely to eat. Have you got it as a as a ground cover, like covering a particular as, area? As a ground cover. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah as wonderful. A, as a ground cover. Yeah. We've also got it in the um uh, the how to garden, which is a, a a garden which is. It's a produce garden using Australian plants, so it uh, yeah it features in in the how to garden as Fantastic. well. Fantastic, and mm. yeah, so it only grows what to thirty centimeters tall, and it's got a spread of about two meters. Yeah, 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 it's a good ground cover. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to hopefully harvesting a little bit of fruit. And the fruit um, are reputed to have more antioxidants than things like um, blueberries and. <laughs> I love it. You know, we, we always come up with some other fruit. Yeah, that's the, it's, the, yeah. the comparator. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, you know the finger limes. Have yeah. always got four thousand times more antioxidants or vitamin C than oranges. Yep. It's just like, do we really need that many? <laughs> <laughs> but they are pretty nice to eat. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, I look forward to it then. Mm, yeah. yeah. So, Muntries. Yeah, Muntries. Yeah. Yep. I think uh, Sturt and um, uh, Trevor, the, the recipients of the scholarship, they saw Muntries growing in the wild. Oh, great. In fruiting in, um, in South South Australia. Yep. Yeah, it was one of the things that they they were, they were chuffed yep. just to see it growing in the wild and Wonderful. producing some berries. Yeah. yeah, nothing like seeing wild plants out in the wild, is there? It's my favourite thing. Yeah. yeah. It's my favourite thing. So that thing. means they like fairly hot conditions and well-drained soils. So yeah, obviously. sandy soils. They, yeah. they do like the sandy soils and well-drained soils, yeah. Yep. Although I do think they're, they're, they're you know reasonably adaptable um, plant. It says, on, it says on the label here, coastal conditions and frost hardy. Sun or part shade, so yep. yeah, it does sound pretty, pretty adaptable. Yeah, mm. but wouldn't like wet, cold and cold and no, wet, wet for too feet. long. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't like wet feet. Yeah, yep, fair enough. But that applies to to so many of our Australian native plants, doesn't it? Yep, yep. It's interesting that um, you know we mentioned the lemon scented gums before, and you know, there the natural distribution for lemon scented gums is this tiny little um, uh, area of North Queensland. 
so they're well outside their natural range. Mm. Um, but you know, there's that general guide that you, you climate match and you get you get really good results. So you select things which are matched to the prevailing environmental conditions of your site. Just as a principle, I think that's a good one mm. to oh yes to, to, to stick to. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And and of course, you know, Citridora they're renowned for um, dropping limbs. I wonder if in their true zone there's that same problem or if it's just when you, we're growing them outside, outside of their natural of Yeah, they possibly grow a little bit zone. quicker and a little bit softer and yeah. um, down here. Yep. Yeah, possibly. Don't know. Don't know. I mean, trees are shedding organisms, aren't they? But Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I, I think um, the, uh, the thing is just to not position one over the top of your house or your garage or your car or... Um, we had a, a, a fair old debate as to whether we would encourage in, in our – we've got a, a, a small eucalypts for home gardens walk and we know that there's a, a dwarf Carimbia citriodora which is available but, you know, dwarf may be 12 or 15 metres. Yeah. Yes, still pretty <laughs> tall. Still yeah. pretty it's tall. comparison. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there are some nice tight, tight – um, variants and forms which have been grafted but uh, you know one of the debates was did we put that on the list and advocate it and we decided not to because we just thought it would just get a little bit too big if we were saying that these are small eucalypts for home gardens mm. um, but we've got a Crimbia citriodoria in our back garden and it's gorgeous yep. yeah. and there are possums in it and possums feeding on it and um, we've got two big trees in our back garden, we've got a red gum um, which uh, we think is indigenous uh, and can be a citriodora, so it's just really nice. You can see our our, our garden from afar um, because they're the two biggest trees in the, the in street. the area. Yeah, yeah right. We've yeah. got a um, a really old. I'm pretty sure it'd be you know a hundred years old um, polyanthemus. Oh, nice. Yeah, and. Um, <coughs> When when I first moved up there about twelve years ago, like it was in pretty good nick. But I, since we um, did a lot of work in the garden, and you know we were incredibly careful not to damage the root system at all. But you know I've built up beds in particular areas and done a bit of work, and the tree has actually responded, in, responded to that, which is it's lovely to see. I didn't think you know I didn't even think of the tree other than you know not harming its roots, for example, when we mm. were digging a pond and whatnot. But the actual build Building up of the beds and the amending of the soil has actually paid dividends for the polyanthemus Terrific. as well. So Where, where's your garden? In Bend of Islands, in Kangaroo Ground. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yep. um, it's one of the indigenous trees there, and it's um, it's an absolute beauty. Mm. Yeah. Hope it doesn't fall. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, that number again. If you'd like to call in and ask a question, we'd love to hear from you this morning. Nine four one nine zero one double five. That's nine. Four one nine zero one double five. We are running through until nine fifteen, so plenty of time for you to call in and ask a question or make a comment. AB, what have you got there? Oh, I've actually got a, um, a bit of a community announcement. Um, it's the APS, so the Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra Group, which um, runs on the first Thursday of the month. So this Thursday coming. Um, they have a guest speaker, uh, Zach Lewis, from the Australian Wildlife Conservancy. And um, this not-for-profit organisation was set up 10 years ago to um, help in reduce, I suppose, the extinction rate of the...
the uh, Australian mammals and plants because okay. we've got something – I think we've got apparently the worst extinction rate in the world for mammals. So um, they set up this conservancy and um, their strategy is to establish sanctuaries by acquiring land and through partnerships with the landholders and implement practical land management, um, feral animal control and fire management and it's all um, informed by science. Fabulous. So, yeah. So that's the um, Australian Wildlife Conservancy. So Zach is talking at the APS Yarra Yarra at the Araluan Centre, um, 226 Old Eltham Road in Lower Plenty. Um, if you need more information on that, you can go to apsyarrayarra.org and find out more about that. So, um, yeah, that's a talk that I'm going to this week. Fabulous. I'm excited about. So a little bit like the, the kind of the Little River Earth Sanctuary or the Mount Rothwell, you know, down at um, – Oh, no, I don't uh, know down at, Yeah, it was um, – uh, Wormsley, one of um, Wormsley's ideas, uh, and he had established a number of these earth sanctuaries um, in a number of locations in uh, in Australia, mainland Australia, and essentially put up some big predator-proof fences and removed all the foxes and the, and the rabbits, um, and reintroduced uh, small mammals, and they've given some terrific results. And that's just down at Little River, so I think it's called the Little River Earth. It was formerly called the Little River Earth Sanctuary. Okay, and now. I think it's called the Mount Rothwell Sanctuary or something along those lines. Sure. It's, a, it's amazing the response that um, nature gives when it's actually within a protected area, yep. isn't it? And it's fenced off and, yeah, the I mean, things want to survive. Yep. And, you know, by encouraging, you know, and putting a bit of um, breeding work into it and then reintroducing the mammals and allowing the, you know, the natural plant systems to um, re-establish, it, it really works. Well, it's about managing those threatening processes. Yeah, and, that's right. And, and the big one for small mammals is predation from, from foxes, foxes and, and cats. Yeah, cats. Um, the Crampon site's an interesting case study. Uh, I think it was tw- approaching 20 years ago. Um, a, a fence went all the way around the site, which was a floppy-type predator-proof fence. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the garden started a really active trapping program. And, you know, uh, there's kind of zero tolerance on um, foxes and cats on, on, on site with an immediate bounce in, in, in the numbers of, of, of mammals on the site. Mm-hmm. Um uh, yeah, we have an ecologist on site, and one of the the, the, the main functions of, of, of Terry is managing um, the population of southern brown bandicoots. And the um, the the trick to that to that is remove the predators, mm. and mm. natural processes will continue and things will persist. Right. But it is about predator management, and and you know I guess that's what um, Zach. We'll be talking about is you know fencing and managing and yeah. and um, letting letting nature to do the rest yeah, because it'll do a really good job of it. And this in the is absence where when you're predators. opening up your corridors <clears throat> in your new housing estate, you've got to also think about those bandicoots. A- absolutely, absolutely. And, and cats. I mean, cats really do unspeakable damage if they're out at night, don't they? I think each cat kills something like I don't know twenty six critters a night if yeah. if it's out and about, and yeah. that's a lot of critters to be killed. You know, and the, and this is not by feral cats. Necessarily, no, it's our domesticated pets, yeah. cats that are, you know, either not brought in at night intentionally, or you know, escape out at night. And um, it's definitely, you know, worth um, taking a bit of time to consider the damage that your cat might be doing, and, and yeah, bring it inside at night. The, we mentioned the relationship that we have with the city of Casey and the, the work that Jill has been doing. But one of the, if, if you purchase a property at, at our boundary in Botanic Ridge, 
you can't own a cat. Oh, that's oh. fantastic yeah. news. Look, people do, yeah. um, and it's really difficult to police. I don't know police. how you police that. It, it, it's difficult, but there is a sign as you as you come into the area saying, You're, this pro- these, these properties are proximate to the Royal Botanic Gardens, and you cannot own a cat if you live here. Wonderful. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah Absolutely but, fantastic. Yeah. Because um, where we are in, in Bendip Islands, it's an environmental living zone, and no cats or dogs there. And, you know, animals have free reign, no fences as well. Okay. So it's all about, you know, okay. right of way for animals and protecting the animals. And, I mean, sure, we, we do have foxes yep. and occasionally a feral cat, not very often. But, yep. um, you know, it really – you can – you can get your fix for animals. Um, you don't need a pet necessarily. You can just go out and you see the wombats and you see the wallabies. Possums and to me, yeah. that's yeah. To me, to me, to me, it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, it, it, when we started managing the the, um, the the foxes and the cats, we found that we had this explosion of, of, of wallabies mm. um, to the point where there are possibly too many wallabies on site. So we've we've worked out a mechanism of having porous gates that let the wallabies out but not not let the foxes back in. Oh, yeah. Some of the work that we've been doing on um, animal gates has been really quite world-leading. We've worked out that, you know, that we can have these bandicoot flaps that bandicoots can get in and out, um, but rabbits can't get in and out. Oh, that can't they? We need to market them to farmers because I often think we need to come up with a gate, where you know, a double hinge gate that's that's loose enough for a wombat to push through. And, of course, wombats are really strong, yep. but not loose enough that a rabbit can push through. So those bandicoot gates we've, sound amazing. We've got them. We've, we've, got, we've got wombat gates and the wombats push out and the thing flaps back. And you can see, you know, rabbits trying to, but they've just got no prospect of doing that. Yep. So some of the work that we've been, do, we've been doing on gating, um, oh, species-specific to targeted gates. Oh, it looks it's fantastic. Yep. It's but really the, fantastic. So, the, so the, the wombat gates, the wallaby gates, the bandicoot gates, um, they're really clear. I mean, they're really simple in design. You just look yep. at that and just go, yes, it's so logical. Yeah, yeah. Um, our ecologist, extraordinarily clever man, but he's got this network of cameras that he puts around the place, and you know he'll put cameras on. He'll put a gate there and put a camera on there to see what happens. Um, and you'll see, you know, foxes come up and sniff at the gate, at the wombat gates, and you know, there's no prospect of them getting through, so they go. And um, I'm but surprised we, but, but, that the rabbits but, but, can't get through the bandicoot gates. Though. No, they can't. Yeah, it's 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 come because it, it's, it's because yeah. of the I think it's because of the way the 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 uh, bandicoots lead with their snout. Okay. So they push it up. Yeah. But it, it works. So Wonderful. we have uh, bandicoot gates that rabbits can't. Yeah, you need to market that to the farmers of Australia. Yeah. I'm sure, sure it would be very successful. So that's it. again all part of that ecological management of, of, of the site. Brilliant. We must get to some callers. Sure. We're going first up to uh, Elaine, who's in Heidelberg. Good morning, Elaine. Uh, good morning. Um, I cut the suckers from uh, my magnolia bush. The cuts are about uh, one centimeter wide. If I paint the cuts with zero, will this kill the magnolia? Yes, it will. It will. Yes. Do you have any other suggestions how to... Look, you don't cut the suckers. You try and rip them. You try and dig down as far as you can to to the... Preferably if you can get to like the central taproot or something where the sucker's coming from and you literally rip them off. But once you've got suckers, I'm afraid it's going to be an ongoing maintenance issue and you're just going to have to keep at it because what's probably happened is that um, suckers usually happen if you've damaged the roots in some way. So if you've run into the magnolia tree with a, a lawnmower or you, if someone's dug too close to the magnolia tree at some stage and damaged the root... Um, and they then send up these suckers. It's it's 
It's their way of survival. The tree doesn't want to die, so it sends up suckers. And I'm afraid uh, you can't poison them at all because that, that will lead straight into the main tree and you, you lose your tree. And if I leave the suckers, does that weaken the tree? Or uh, Well, yes, it, it has the potential of weakening yeah. the tree as well. So you do need to – You need. I'm afraid you just need to keep removing them. It's going to be an ongoing problem for you. All right, there. Okay, thanks. May okay. I, may I ask another question? Sure. I heard uh, you talking about the deeper uh, uh, planting. Can I use that to, for a grevillea? Yes. Yes, definitely. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's lovely then. Yeah, so just have have you already got the grevillea? Yes, in a pot, in about 10 centimetre pot. It's a small one. Okay, yeah, just um, bury it about half. Well, first of all, actually, before we go into that, what, what sort of soil do you have, Elaine? Um, I think I have, well, I've used uh, compost a lot, so it's quite... Uh, Quite uh, sort quite, of loose, quite open, quite, quite soil. open. But if I if I go down fifty centimeters, half a meter down, it's quite clay. Yeah, no, that's fine because I mean the root system of the plant's not going to be, you know, it's not going to go down to the fifty centimeters. So yeah, bury oh. it to about half. Okay. And when you when you've dug the hole, water yeah. water it first and let the water drain through, then yeah. bury it and um yeah, and ring back in a few months and let us know your success rate. <laughs> and you cut off the the side shoots yeah, you up can to cut, where you're going to bury it. Cut off the side shoots. Although I have to say Angus sometimes doesn't even do doesn't that. Even he just bother. chucks the whole thing in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So definitely give it a go and please ring back and let us know how you went. Lovely, lovely. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thanks. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Next up, we're going to Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Pam. Hi. Um, I want to ask, I've got a very fine-leafed fuchsia. Can I cut it right back? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> oh. I'll, I'll opt out of that one. I'm not sure. I mean, you, is it it's, uh, um you can prune fuchsias, mm. uh, and they they do they, they, they are do re, they are resprouters. Yep. How how hard do you want to? How big is it, and how hard do you want to go? Well, it's about um, a bit less than a meter high, and they're sort of arching branches. Okay, and it's and there are not many flowers now, so mostly it's in flower all the time. So I thought, well, uh, this must be the right moment. Well, I'll give it a go. Look, I'd, the, I wouldn't they, cut back into hard wood. I'd just be a little bit more cautious, but I'd certainly tip prune it yep. right round. I mean, yep. the arching branches—that's going to be its natural habit. Um, habit. Yep. So yeah. you're not going to you're not going to lose that habit because it's going to grow and do exactly the same thing. But I'd certainly, if it's if if you haven't had much flowers, I'd certainly be tip pruning it back and reducing it in height height a bit yeah, because they do they they will resprout. They are re-sprouting things, yep. Okay. And can I just tell what the Herb Society is doing Thursday evening? Sure. Um, Carmen Holway is going to talk about the plants that have survived very well in her community garden. In right. Her pot. And she's one of our younger members now on the committee. And uh, we thought it was interesting to have, you know, sort of a speech that, uh, from the basics again, looking at how to sort of set up the community plot and so on. So that'll be very nice. That's 7.30 on Thursday, room, a main building at, um, main building room 10 at Burnley Horticultural and that's 500 Yarra Boulevard. And 
It's either Richmond on uh, Google Maps or Burnley if you look at Melway. <laughs> so that should be an interesting. And Graham Smith is going to give a short talk about Herb Robert, which is in full um, right now because it likes the damn weather. Excellent. Yes. Okay. Thanks very much, Jill. Okay, then. Good, Jill. Bye. And next up, we'll go to Adam, who's out in Heathmont. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. Go ahead. Um, I've got some tree ferns in my garden, Mm -hmm. and I was hoping to move one or two of them into pots and bring them into this kind of inside-outside room. It gets a bit of light, but not direct sun or anything. Uh, I was just wondering if if they would be all right. One inside and two in a pot. What's the light levels? Sorry? What are the, what are the light levels? Oh, it's, it's just see a bit of light in there, but, yep. um, but not, um, yeah, not direct sun. But yeah, the, the roof is laser light and, um, uh, and the, the, the doors are just glass doors. Um, what, uh, what sort of uh, tree ferns are they, Adam? I'm not entirely sure, but there's ones that are flat sort of, Trunks, um, not like the ones you get in the in the dandenongs growing kind of. Okay, so, not so they've got they've got they've got a hard hard scaly trunk rather than a um, soft. Uh, soft fibrous Very. fibrous trunk. No, they're they're soft. They're not they're not scaly like they don't have the old um, branches all the way up and kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, okay. They're they're flat and 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 you know uh, round and soft. And how what's the spread of the foliage? Are they you know, Meters well, long. It depends. Like some of them, just they weren't treated. We've just moved into this house. They weren't treated very well. We weren't watered much. But the ones we've watered um, are coming back, and they spread kind of about a, a meter or half a meter. They're yep. just varying. And there's one that's that's just sort of sprouting now that we've given it a lot of water. And there are there's, there's two, sort of two main groups of the the tree ferns that you're likely to encounter. Some of them are the scaly, the cyatheas, and some of them are the soft, the digsonias. Um, yep. Difficult for us to determine which is which, but um, I, th- I think to, to be on the safe side, you'd want to take some roots uh, with with the plants when you when you dug them out. Yep. Um, <coughs> tree ferns do transplant readily. If it's a Dicksonia, you can just chop it off at the ba- yep. at, at, at the base. But I, not being confident that it is a Dicksonia or a Cyathea, I'd, I'd take a little wedge of, um, of of roots as well. Okay. If it um, was, if I could chop it, if it was a um, Dicksonia and I chopped it, would, would I have? Could I have two plants? No. 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 Okay. No. Um, the advantage of the Dicksonia is that you can just um, you don't have to dig it out with um, with roots intact. And it also means you can you can choose the height <clears throat> that's that right. you want for yeah. inside, so you can actually shorten it by yep. by cutting it above the above the base. Yeah, okay. I think the keys for you, Adam, there, well, first of all, tree ferns do grow fine in pots because they are slow growers. Um, yep. The keys are going to be make sure that you use premium uh, potting mix, yep. you know, so the ones with the red ticks on the side and, um, you know, give it a, a good liquid seaweed um, application as well when you when you pot it up. And, um, yeah, you know, some slow-release fertiliser. So, um, yeah, but you should have success. And and given that it's going under laser light, I'd imagine it'd be quite warm. It'll be all about water on on warm days, and yep. in, in, and ensuring that they, that they don't dry out. 
And if yep. there's capacity to sort of wet down the trunks and um, increase the relative humidity around them, particularly for the first little while while they're establishing, that would mm. be a, a big advantage. Yeah, and do I need a, a sort of quite a big pot, or is it... as big as you can imagine? Yeah. yeah, or as big as you can fit into your into your area. Yeah, it'll it'll also be about scale because the the, the trunks themselves are pretty robust, and um, you know you want to have a, a a pot which has got an appropriate scale to the size of the trunk to the, the girth of the trunk. And if I'm moving them, should I go for one? Because I've got a, I've got quite a few of them, and I only need to move one or two. But should I go for ones that have got the, the widest sort of um, branches, or just the ones that are just coming coming out? Well, it's going to be a matter of what you can handle for a start, and yeah. what is going to fit into your room. I'd go I'd actually be going for the ones that are just sprouting, yep. because yep. Um, it's going to have less stress on the plant. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yep. Okay. But they'll look pretty great. How many are you, are you, are you talking about um, transplanting? Well, um, it's as many as I can fit in this room, so po- possibly probably get four in there. And then there's, uh, it's basically this kind of room that was outside, so it's brick floor, but they've made it inside, an inside room. And I want to have quite a, a range of plants, indoor plants. So, um, I'm not really sure what else to go for. Maybe make you help me. Something that's quite tall, sort of a metre and a half, two metres. Well, you know, even the you know the ficus benjamina, mm. a fantastic indoor plant, and they yep. give that yep. really tropical rainforest look, and they're relatively cheap. And if you look after them, they'll give you years and years of joy. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I was thinking lots of hanging baskets and things. As baskets well. are good. Yep. Yep. Um, palms, you know, lend themselves to to to, to that. Thing. You know, they just tick over, and there's a bunch yep. of um, there's a bunch of kentia palms are, you know, pretty famous for being uh, tolerant, uh, tolerant of yep. those conditions. Yeah, we had we had a Michaelia alba in a pot which we were going to put outside, which we have put outside now. But it was in a pot in this room, okay. And it looked quite good in the room, but I don't think that would survive in there. No, it might stretch after after a while. Is there anything that's got the same sort of lushness and um, I guess the colour of the the leaves I quite liked and the the spread of them. Um, some of the ficus will, will give you a, a, a similar ficus rubiginosa has yeah, got a similar similar um, r- yeah. russety tone and glossy leaf. Ficus rubiginosa would be a good choice. Okay, great. I'll give that a look up. Okay. Beauty. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. All right. Thanks, Adam. Bye-bye. Next, we're going to Tony, who's up in the Dandenongs. Good morning, Tony. No, he's in Dandenongs. Sorry there. Morning, morning, Tony. Hi. Um, Yeah, I've got um, quite a few very mature rose bushes. Um, At least probably six or seven would be at least 25 years old. The last couple of weeks, I've been out cutting them right back. And on three, I think maybe three, four of them, there are these little pods that look like fruit, which I've never seen before. I'm assuming they're seeds. They'll be hips. Yeah, rose hips. hips. Um, do I have to wait for them to dry and drop off before I try and plant them, or can I just take them now? No, you can, you can take them now. Take them now? Yep. And yep. is there any way I can try and make the rose bushes with these seeds and try and come up with a different sort of rose bush? Just Something different, as in, as in, grow them, uh, sow the seed, grow them on, see what you see, what you get. Oh, oh, I'm not sure how I'd do it, but do, you know, put the two seeds together in a in a one pot, or I don't know, how would you? Well, you could certainly try, but you're not necessarily going to yeah, end up with the same plant that okay. you've got because and, and if the, those plants are grafted. Yeah. So, do I um, put them in pots first in potting mix, or just spray it into the ground? Well, do you want them in pots or do you want... So oh, are we talking yeah, about the, you oh, moving the You're talking about raising the, the rose hips. The pot, seeds. No, no, actually, I might put them in pots because I've got too many and them away. Yep. Yep. Um, and I assume that stem side up, 
when I plant it, when I put them in the pot. Uh, so, so the, inside the the hips will be the seeds. Oh, inside, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, so, so that 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 big hip is the flesh around the seeds. Ah, right. So, okay. if if you just open that up, you'll see the seeds in in the middle. I don't actually know how many seeds are, are in no, a row. No, I don't. Hip. I've never. I'd imagine there'd be more than more than one. There'd be yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> there'd be a couple. You, you actually open up the. I'd open it up the the hip itself and actually plant the seeds, plant and I'd, seeds, I'd okay. plant them in a pot. Yeah, yeah. And so there could be more than one. Okay. Yes. Um, one more thing. With the kokedama, that sounds like a great thing I could do with my nieces because they're on school holidays at the moment. Oh, you oh they'd do, love it. Do it. I just missed the name of your guest and, and was she with Gardening Australia? Yes, oh, that's Jane, Jane Edmondson, and Jane. she she's got a um, we've got a segment on the show in a few weeks time. Um, but if you um, if you just Google Kokodama, you'll be able to um, you'll see the kinds of things that you'll be making. Yeah. And then if you use yeah use a, a half bonsai mix and half um, clay soil from the garden, yep. and just create you know yeah. add, add water to, so it's kind of nice and sticky, and then just wrap it around the root yeah. ball. Because you've done all the experimenting, so you know it works. Yeah. I want to make sure, like, with the girls, that, you know, this works and it comes out good for them. So uh, I, nothing, I want to follow your, your recipe. Nothing me. succeeds like success. Yeah. And, and when, you, when you do things, particularly with kids and they work, oh, yeah, it's that's just a such a great thing to do. And they get so happy and excited and everything. Yeah. So yeah. I want to follow your, uh, your recipe. Well, Tony, I, if you want to email me, I'll be able to um, talk it through with you great. in a bit more detail. So if just email me at... A B Bishop One at Gmail dot com. Bishop One at Gmail. Okay. At Gmail dot com. Um, yeah. So I'll, look just, up the, I'll look it up. First. Yeah, I'll and look it up. First. And if I need any help, I'll, I'll definitely email you. Absolutely. Thanks very much. No, now, right. before you go, Tony. Yes. John's just been looking up rose hips and multiple yep. lots, seeds. Lots of, lots of seeds, seeds within seeds. the hips. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so, so open up the hip and you'll you'll see uh, maybe 10 or 15, 20 seeds. Great, great. Oh, that's fantastic. Thanks for your help. Good on okay, you. Okay, then. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, we're running through until 9.15. It's just gone 9 o'clock. So if you do want to jump on the phones quickly and give us a call, we would love to hear from you. That number again, 94190155. That's 94190155. John, you were mentioning earlier that there's a garden down at, at Cranbourne that's it's more about um, Australian food. Mm. Now, is that only Indigenous um, food plants or do you also go into – because there's things like um, um, Australian uh, – Native bread, limes. Well, yeah, native limes. But I'm also thinking about some of your, your heirloom vegetables and those, oh. and some of those – are actually Australian, would you believe? Mm. They've been developed in oh, Australia. Yeah. And we have, for instance, an Australian <clears throat> pumpkin. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering how far that garden how, extends. How far can you um, yes, within take, a, take that Australian thing? Exactly. Look, look we've, when we were designing that garden, doing the design development, we had a fair old debate about whether <clears throat> we introduced non-native food plants into the mix. Right. And the decision was taken, no. Okay. So it is uh, Australian native species. Yes. Um, but we do have some of the CSIRO finger limes and, and you know, some of those things that have been hybridised with mm. um, uh, exotic citrus. Yes. They're, they're in there, so they were they're okay. Allowed. They were okay. <laughs> um, the poor veggies weren't allowed in. <laughs> it's, so, um, look, it's, a, it's a, a garden that I think will potentially evolve over, over, over time. But, um, so it's a mixture of sort of bush foods. and um, So I think there's a number of East, East Coast things. There's a Acronychia, a lemon aspen from... 
from the east coast, the rainforest species. Yep. There's a Davidson's plum, there's macadamias, there's um, uh, finger limes and citrus, <coughs> along with um, the muntries, those, you know, the, the muntries yes, yeah. and uh, things such as uh, the um, warrigal greens, yep. ostromertus, the midgen berries. Yep. All, all the usual suspects, the, the mountain pepper, mm. uh, including a few uh, tuberous plants and, and um, uh, root vegetables. So, okay. Um, Yam daisy. So yams. Yeah, yep, yeah. yams, uh, uh, arthropodiums. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those, those types of things. So okay. there's a fair bit of diversity in there. Yeah. Um, but it, no, it, we, we, we didn't quite go as far as the Australian bread. Exotic. Fair enough. Non-natives. Fair enough. Yeah. I'll forgive you. <laughs> I, look, I, I, it could have been a missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I mean, you can always think about it as, as, as a, a kitchen garden for, yeah. for, for the cafe in yeah. future years down the track. If Indeed. you want to go down that, I mean, yeah, yeah. totally up to you. I'm intrigued yeah. by the uh, pumpkin, Pam. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I'll, I can refer you to um, Simon... Um, Ricard's oh, book, of course, okay, yep. and you'll find in his in his book on heirloom vegetables. There's there's quite a few vegetables that were bred in Australia. Okay, um, yes, there's there's quite a range. So yep. it's it's an it's an interesting topic all in itself. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Australian bread. We must go to our good friend Alex out in Beaconsfield. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Pam, and what a great morning it is. Oh, good. Good day, Alex. And uh, good day. Folks, I'm thrilled to bits that you've got some experts there to answer my questions. Good. <laughs> Fishbone fern, first of all, tough as anything. Yep. Yep. And my next door neighbour has it, and now it's popping up through my deck. Yep. Yep. I'm wondering, I can't pull the deck up to remove it. Is there anything that would kill it? Uh, herbicide would work. Alex, if you wanted to go down that route. Yeah, um, I mean, boiling water would be, uh, would, wouldn't like that very much, being scalded. Oh, no, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I can do that quite easily. Their, their roots are shocking. Oh, they can get into all your water pipes. It's one of those really thuggish rooted yeah. plants. They're, they're yeah. dreadful and they're hard to dig up and get rid of that way. And uh, I, I just can't get to it to dig it up. No, fair enough. No worries. Well, a couple more quick ones. I've got a viola eminence, a native violet. Oh, good. And it's not rare or endangered, but it's pretty uncommon. Yep. Well, the bugs like it. The leaves are being shredded. And I'm wondering if uh, it seems to be still there and growing, but uh, they're all right in the in the shade house, but the one that I've got in the in the ground is really being bombarded by... <laughs> Something eating it. Snails, you reckon? Uh, slugs? I really don't know, but it looks like slugs or caterpillars. Something. Hasn't been frosted, Alex? No, 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 no. It's under a little bit of shade. Okay, so it's being grazed it's by something. Eaten, yeah. yeah. Slugs My or snails? Slugs, or sn- slugs hide more. They're harder to spot that yeah. they're around, whereas you can always find your snail shells. But, but I would be... Su- you know, thinking slugs personally. Right. Oh well, I'll try a little bit of stuff to abate them. Yeah. My final question's a bit of an embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> I might have the most pampered waratah in the world. <laughs> well, we built a pergola over it to because it was suffering when I put it in. It was suffering from the western sun, so I cover it with shade in that bad period. 
but it's got, oh, I think, seven flowers forming on it now. And I'm wondering if there's anything that I could do to support those flowers. Is there any any treatment that I could give it that would give it those beautiful big red flowers or leave it alone? I mean, the fact that it's actually flowering yeah. for you, I would say you, you're obviously doing the right things. I don't know if you've made any amendments to the soil. No. I mean, it's, it's pretty... Damn clay, actually. Probably the best measure of how a waratah is going will be the, the the health of the foliage. That'll give you the indication as to how it's tracking. What's the foliage look like, Alex? Oh, I think it's okay. It's yeah. not It's not bright green. It's not vivid, but it it is a good green colour. There's no real yellow across it. It sounds yeah, to it me sounds as like though it's, right. it's 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 doing okay. Well, I'd be inclined to not fiddle with it too much at the moment. Let it settle in and do its thing. So I'll leave the potash in the shed. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't hurt to give it a sprinkling of potash. But not too much, even, just uh, a little. Yeah, rock bush, minerals, but certainly bush, not a lot. Bush tucker? Bush tucker, bush tucker. exactly, yep. yep. Bush tucker. Got a good response. Yep. Good work. Okay, thanks very much for your help. Okay, good on you, Alex. nice to hear from you. Bye. Bye, Bye for now. Ciao. Okay, and just uh, briefly, we've got uh, George, who's rung on the outside line. He works at a residential home in Preston wants to know what flowering plants are good to plant and grow right now. Uh, he's wondering perhaps bulbs. He wants quick results. Um, the garden is in some shade. And what time's best for snapdragons? With snapdragons now, um, I planted some of my mum's garden a couple of weeks go. ago and they're going beautifully. Yep, and definitely, so, um, you know, if you, if you want bulbs, get them in. Quickly, yeah. I mean, I've put my I've put daffodil bulbs in oh quite a few weeks ago now, and they're all they're all up and starting to do their thing. So um, you won't get a really quick response from them, though. No, no you no, won't a get a really lag, quick response compared to kind of the the annuals. It sounds like this might be a, an application for for some bedding plants, um, you yes. know, bedding begonias or um, uh, pansies even. Yes, yeah, they'll yep. give you sort of that instant. Bang of colour, yeah. And I, I think go go to your local nursery and see yeah, see, see what, what they've got there. Because see what's going to be yeah, relevant yeah. to be planting in your area now. Polyanthemus, yeah, yes, those, all of those. Yeah, all of those yeah. That's that suite of old fashioned annual plants. It yeah. sounds like that might meet that application. Really yeah, well. so I, I think the best bet is to go and visit um, one of your local nurseries and just have a look at what is in flower right now, and and you'll be able to pop some of those in, and you'll get in, you'll get very quick results, instant colour. Hmm. Yep, annuals. We used to grow annuals a lot, and you know we don't do annuals as much as people don't. They're time poor, and they just yeah. forget about annuals. Yep. But yep. annuals can be so much fun, even if you just add them into pots outside your yep. kitchen door or something. For sure, to just get that colour fix. Yep. Something bright and cheery, particularly in the middle of winter. Yeah. Yeah, give the rabbits something else to eat. I mean, really, they, don't, they don't have enough as it is. So a, bit of, a bit of diversity yeah, in their diet. Yeah. That's the first thing that I think of when I'm thinking of different plants is like, oh, more rabbit fodder. Oh, they terrorise you too yeah, much, Avery. they do, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that, that's priceless. Yeah, I have to say, I actually put in uh, some bulbs this year. Yeah. Um, I put them in a couple of months ago. I put in um, the dwarf Scary. Oh, nice. Um, I oh, didn't yes. actually realise how dwarf they were going to be. So the, <laughs> the, the, the bulbs, the flowers have actually started forming and they're, they're about... 
five centimetres tall and they really are quite tiny but but very sweet. So I put in the Muscari uh, Valerie Finis and um, um, which is kind of a light blue and then I've, I've in the middle of those as I've got them on mass so to speak in pots and um in the middle of them some hot pink tulips oh wonderful so i'm hoping that'll that'll come up and look good yep. yeah yeah i was surprised actually the muscari came up really quickly and um i, I thought they would you know that said they were going to be an early spring flower but they're already starting to do their thing so mm. yeah and they're they're very hardy i mean that's yeah, why I've they survive in some of the old before. gardens okay yes yeah. yes so they'll they'll do well yep um now, we've just got uh, another query from John very quickly. Uh, can you name a few or point to the website for the lovely native hedging plants uh, used at Cranbourne? Uh, there's a number of hedges. The, we've, we've got um, some lily-pilly hedges in between the, uh, the southern display gardens and there's a number of Sizygium varieties that, are, that makes, make for really good hedges. Um, there's, as you're walking in next to the car park, uh, there's Philothica flower girl, which is effectively a hedge, and that's a gorgeous hedging plant in that it produces these masses of flowers which are about to pop over the next, um, you know, weeks and months. Okay. Uh, so some, it used to be got Eriostomin oh, or Philothicas. Those Philothicas are amazing, they're, aren't they? They just become a mass of flowers. Be- and, and beautiful hedging plants. Bees and butterflies yeah. come in. Yep. There's um, some really nice small growing calistamins uh, that, that will produce a gorgeous hedge again a flowering a flowering hedge um you know some of the subulatus and there's a, bu- there's a bunch of small growing um calistamins which would be really terrific for hedging and the good thing is with all these new cultivars you know the, the breeders have really created plants that are particular heights and widths so mm. you don't have a you don't have to do a lot of work there's not a lot of pruning like in the old days you know if you want a, a hedge that's a meter and a half you know you buy a plant that's you know traditionally grows yeah. to three meters and yeah. then you spend the rest of your life pruning it <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know you can buy plants that grow to the size that you want yep. and so there's very little work to actually do which is nice we've got some very nice much taller hedges of uh, acacia fimbriata and that produces a, it's a lovely hedging plant, but that is a much taller. That's a much taller hedge. I'm just trying to think of some what other. What about mint bushes? Uh, you could hedge a mint mm. bush, certainly. Yep. 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 Uh, um, we've got. A, we had. We've just removed it, a, a hedge of olearia's, so daisy bushes. Okay. Um, yeah, lots and lots of options for for, for hedging. I guess um, it depends on, um, or, well, of course it depends on the, the size area that you've got. You know, right. had the, the width mostly is yep. most important. And then, you know, you, you just get a plant that's, that, you know, it's fits meet. within that as much as possible so that you're not going to yep. be creating extra work for yourself. But, the, yeah, there are, are a lot of plants. You know, a trip to Karanga, for example, is um, a great idea because they've got all those fantastic display beds. You can see what the plant does and yep. what it looks like and, you know, what it, look, what it looks like when it's mature. So you can get get some sort of idea. And they've actually got a whole dedicated section just for hedging plants. Yeah, right. that's yeah. right. Things that will yeah. clip up well. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So lots and lots of options in the Australian plant world for, world for things that will hedge. And, you know, a, a walk around the Australian garden and you will see you know, lots Plenty. of applications for that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 We have run out of time for yet another week. Um, a big thank you to the team. Good to see you again, John. Terrific, Pam. I Thanks always a lot. love it when you... Pop into the studio and join us. Great. Thank um, you. A big thank you also to Vicky, who's been handling all the phone calls this morning. We'll, of course, be back again next week at 7.30. Until then, bye for now.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.